Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatched, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. The topic I want to try to take on today is the myth. I don't know if we're going to call it a myth or a lie. I think we're going to end up calling it a lie, but we'll figure that out here in a minute. The myth or the lie of overpopulation. And so I guess the first thing to do we have to figure out is whether it is a myth or a lie. Myths are ideas or events that may have some basis in truth and that for whatever reason, they've kind of gained some traction in the popular mind and then just don't go away. A lie, on the other hand, is a deliberate attempt by one person or party to willfully deny the truth to another person or party who has a right to hear that truth. So how might we tell the difference? Well, I think the first place to start would be to see if there is any contradictory evidence that has come up to prove the myth wrong. If that is the case, if other facts have surfaced showing the myth to be in conflict with those facts and the myth endures, then somewhere we're being lied to. The only question is by whom and why. Let's take a look at it. Before taking on overpopulation, let's examine some other fabrications that have been foisted upon us over the past 40 years or so. There are two that come to mind, and there are many, many more. But two that come to mind immediately are the myths of the Japanese labor relations and the dwindling supply of oil. Now, you're going, wait a minute. You know, this is getting too confusing. You said you were going to talk about how we were going to debunk the overpopulation myth or the overpopulation lie. And now you're talking about Japanese workers and oil? Well, just sit tight. It'll all make sense. Back in the 1980s, you might remember, I mean, I can remember seeing this. It was on the front cover of Time magazine. It was in the newspapers and so on. We were being told over and over again about the idyllic relationship that existed between Japanese labor and the factories and businesses where they worked. They had a job for life. Those owners cared about their workers. The weak American economy could learn a thing or two from the successful Japanese. And it was constantly being rubbed in our face that um, the reason why the American economy was in such bad shape in the early 80s, if you might remember back that far back, was because American business didn't treat their workers the way the Japanese treated their workers. You might notice that the Japanese economy has been on the ropes now for over a decade. There haven't been any exculpatory remarks by any of the news outlets or columnists who made all those claims championing the Japanese business practices over their American counterparts. In fact, the Japanese discovered that they are under the same restraints of economics as anybody else. If you make a superior product at a lower price, you will win the economic game. As their economy grew more burdened by non-business expenses, it faltered. But again, once the myth was exposed, there have been no follow-up newscasts, editorials, or stories in Time or Newsweek saying, gee, folks, we kind of got that one wrong. What about oil? I can distinctly remember back in the late 1970s when I was finishing high school, the same so-called scientists who then were warning us that our coming doom would be due to an ice age were also telling us that the oil would be gone by 1985. I even recall some entrepreneurs selling little clear plastic barrels that held about a half a gallon of crude oil as curios. So that when all the oil was gone, if you had one of this guy's barrels, you could truthfully say you had the last of the oil. 
You might have noticed that in the past 40 years or so, the people warning us of the coming ice age never got up and said they made a mistake. Now they tell us we're going to cook to death because of the so-called global warming. And now we're even reading about a renaissance of American energy that we may well be sitting upon the world's largest reserves of oil and gas. But again, all those who made those predictions back in the 70s never stood forward and said, oops. So it kind of makes you wonder how much we can believe. Well, now this brings us all to the overpopulation myth. And folks, this is burrowed so deeply into the American consciousness. It's like a tick. And in my work, I find myself working with tiny tots one minute, adults the next, and then teenagers. And for some reason, kids seem to pick up at a very young age the concept that there are just too many people on the earth. Where did this idea come from? It had to start somewhere. Well, before we get to the genesis of the big lie, let's review some facts and data about global population growth. In 1750, right about the time the U.S. was becoming a country, there were about 500 million people on the entire Earth. 500 million. Now, to put that into perspective, there are a little bit over 300 million people in the United States alone today. By 1950, there were 2 billion people on Earth. So in 200 years, from 1750 to 1950, the world's population went up by a factor of 4. It quadrupled. Now, from 1950 to the year 2000, in just 50 years, the world's population has tripled. It's gone up by a factor of three from two billion to six billion. The overpopulation alarmist crowd wants us to think that the world's population is going to triple every 50 years. At least that's what the reports that make into the media say. Therefore, by the year 2050, there will be 18 billion people on Earth. By the year 2100, there will be 54 billion and so on. Sounds scary, doesn't it? And that's exactly what they want to do. Scare us into thinking that more people equals crisis. But the fact is, is that during this period of exponential population growth from 1950 to 2000, people were not really having that many more babies. In fact, in the industrialized West, which includes countries like Britain, Italy, Spain, France, Germany, Austria, Canada, and the United States, real population growth has been declining at a dangerous rate. In order for a population just to maintain itself, each woman has to have 2.2 children. Now you talk about how do you have 0.2 kids? Well, that's the way the stats come out. Maybe a better way to say it is like this. Every 10 women have to give birth to 22 children. Why? Well, because the number of children must at least equal the two parents it took to beget the children in the first place, as well as a couple of extra kids to make up for those who die before their own childbearing years and for the women who never have children for whatever reason. In many European nations, the number of children per 10 women is between 12 and 16. In the United States, it's 16. This is way below the number of children needed to sustain the population. In other words, for 20 people, for 10 couples, um, um, 20 people in the United States were making 16 children. So the replacement is less than four shy. This is why... This, I mean, this is way below the number of children needed to sustain the population. And in both Europe and the United States, the only reason why our populations have grown is because of immigration. This is the same immigration everybody always complains about. So, if there really are no more babies being born, and in fact in the industrialized West, fewer babies are being born, where did the dramatic of increase of population come from, from 1950 to 1970? Folks, it came from people living longer. 
as a result of better food production, immunizations against childhood diseases, better hygiene, better prenatal and medical care, clean water, all those wonderful things that we've enjoyed over the last 100 years or so, people have simply been living longer and the population has been growing. Again, back in the day, you know, 200 years ago, a woman might get married when she was 15 years old and then have children until she was 30. And during those 15 years, you know, she might have 10 or 15 children. But again, any number of those children might die before they reach their first birthday. You know, they might die in childbirth. They would die in infancy. And then again, you know, little children could get pneumonia. They could get all kinds of things, which we can cure very easily in our day and age. Back in those days, the mortality rate was just so high. Few people made it to, you know, to a ripe old age. And so therefore, the population stayed kind of down. But whenever they talk about this population explosion, the, the population control crowd out there wants us to believe that the reason why we saw this surge of population in the 20th century was because of people irresponsibly reproducing themselves and ruining the planet and all this kind of stuff, when in fact the reason why the population went up was simply because people were living longer. Now. And even the United Nations, this is the most remarkable thing, the United Nations, which is one of the biggest organizations globally that encourages abortion and contraception, even the United Nations has had to admit that the population is really going to level off at about 10 billion people or so. In fact, by the year 2050, instead of there being some 18 billion people on Earth, there will be about 9 billion. And by 2100, instead of there being 54 billion people on Earth, there will be about 10 billion. Now, we already figured out why the population shot up. It's because people are living longer. Why is it going to level off? Well, the answer is, as countries advance economically and technologically, their populations have to stay in school longer to train for jobs that the economy is demanding. And as a student's educational careers are made longer, they get married later and in turn have fewer children, which is one of the reasons why we see the population curve leveling off again in the probably the middle part of this century. So hopefully at this point, we pretty much discredited the myth that the world is being populated or overpopulated by a bunch of irresponsible people reproducing themselves in an uncontrolled and unsustainable way. The number of new babies is staying about the same, while medical science makes it possible for more of these children to live past infancy and well into adulthood and old age. Another aspect of the overpopulation myth or lie, we haven't quite determined yet, but we'll get there, is that people are some kind of an infection or a blight on the earth. We are all threats to the rainforest with our carbon footprints. You know, the earth simply cannot sustain any more people on it because all we're going to do is consume more resources and ravage the earth and so on. Well, to this, and I think that, you know, one of the things from my own personal learning is that whenever I read things, I always try to find things like if I'm reading about something that has kind of a moral dimension to it, I try to read it from someone who really has no interest in the moral dimension because I think they're going to be a little bit more objective. And for this reason, I think I would refer you to some work by Dr. Walter E. Williams, who is a professor of economics at George Mason University in Fairfax, West Virginia. Dr. Williams is not a Catholic. Um, he does not teach anything spiritual. He teaches economics. And I think they used to call economics the dour science. And the university, George Mason, is a public university. It's not religiously affiliated. So he really has no interest in trying to sell us on his particular view of, of population, except that from an economic standpoint. And he makes an interesting proposal to those who believe that population densities are what bring about misery and suffering. He suggests, why don't we just go to the most densely populated place on Earth and then to the most sparsely populated place on Earth and see what we find? I think that's a pretty good idea. 
And so, in fact, the most densely populated place on Earth is Hong Kong, with over 6,000 people packed per square kilometer. A square kilometer is a little bit bigger than a half a square mile. So what do we find in Hong Kong? Well, we find one of the most prosperous places on Earth with a high per capita income and a very high standard of living. So again, if population densities, if having all these people packed in one place is what's going to bring about poverty and misery, how come when we go to the most densely populated place on earth, we find prosperity and a high standard of living? That should give us cause to think. Now, what about the place with the least dense population? Again, if the population of people are telling us the truth, where we go where there are fewer people, there should be lots of resources for everybody. You know, the ecology or the ecosystem is not being overtaxed. And so we should find, you know, people living in bliss and happiness and, and all kinds of goodies there for them. Well, if you go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, it used to be called Sire. There's only 22 people per square kilometer there, and it's also the poorest place on earth, with an average income of about 300 and some odd dollars per person per year. And that's not very much. That's living on less than $10 a day. Of course, oh no, I, I take that back. Let's say about a dollar a day. Sorry, my math's bad. Or consider that there are 363 people per square mile in China. Now, again, a square mile is bigger than a square kilometer, so the numbers don't exactly match up, but you kind of get the idea. There are 363 people per square mile in China and 18,993 people per square mile in Hollywood. Almost 19,000 people per square mile in Hollywood, California. Is the population of Hollywood, is the population density of Hollywood causing poverty and misery there? Also, just as a mental exercise, you might have heard this before. I've heard this of a number of different forums. You know, where they say that we could take every soul on the face of the earth, put them in the state of Texas with a house and a yard, and there would be room to spare in Texas, leaving the rest of the world uninhabited. Now, let's be very clear. No one is proposing that we do this. The entire state of Texas would look like a giant housing subdivision, and no one wants to live like that. But it does show that as a global presence, people are actually kind of rare. So then, what about all these images we see on TV of masses of people living in squalor and misery? Dr. Williams, as an economist, claims it's due to corrupt and dictatorial governments. Left to their own devices, people tend to make things for their own use and then sell the extras to other people. When allowed to do so, they prosper. When some crooked tyrant takes over, suffering always follows. So it appears that where there are more people, there is more prosperity. How can this be? The fact is, the population controllers see people only as consumers. They really kind of limited their view of the dynamics of the situation. It's a very complicated thing, but I don't think it's really that hard to understand. You just have to be able to balance you know, around 50 or 60 different variables in your head at once. In the end, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it can be done. And in their eyes, you know, people are only consumers, and the population is only going to continue to shoot up and up and up and up. In their eyes, we are little better than locusts swarming on the surface of the earth, mindlessly consuming all the fresh water, lumber, petroleum, metals, food, and any other resource we can get our greedy, grubby hands on. The sad reality is many of these same people who have been wildly successful in convincing even grade school kids that there are too many people on earth and that the overpopulation threatens the planet never stop to consider that human beings also produce as well as consume. And in fact, in many cases, we produce more than what we consume. And since it's in our own best interest to manage our resources, we tend to do just that. They only see people as ravenously devouring resources while either failing or refusing to, to see people as a resource. 
if they simply fail to see the people as a resource, then overpopulation that scare they are purveying is a myth. But if they refuse to see people as a resource, I mean, they, again, if they fail to see it, it's just like if it got by them and they just kind of keep proffering this idea that we're overpopulated, then it's a myth. But if they refuse to see it in spite of the evidence to the contrary, then it is a lie. In either case, they continue to on with the drumbeat that the presence of more people is a bad thing and a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, to kind of give you an idea of this, a while back, I was watching the news one evening, and um, they were kind of doing the old, old-fashioned old man-on-the-street interview, and they were in the Cherry Creek District of Denver. I know there's a lot of folks here in Hayes in the Ellis County area that make regular trips to Denver, and so you might know that the Cherry Creek District is kind of one of the really high-rent spots in Denver. You know, a lot of nice houses and shopping and so forth there. It's a pretty expensive and exclusive place to live. And they showed this guy... And I mean, he was, you could just tell by looking at him, he was typical of, you know, kind of the, the overpopulation kind of, kind of crowd because there he was living in Denver. He was, you know, he had his, his, um, designer kind of bicycling outfit on with his designer bicycle helmet on his designer bicycle. And he was zooming around, you know, through the, through the streets of the Cherry Creek district there. And so they come to him and they ask him, you know, they, they were asking him some questions and he said he was married and he and his wife had no children. And so of course that would enable him to um, you know, live a very um, high material, high standard of living, you know, materially speaking, and so um, they asked him. They said, you know, buddy, you know, can you tell us some um, which is the most populous nation on earth? And he goes, oh, that's easy, it's China. Okay, yeah, China. There's more people in China than any country on earth. Can you tell us the second most populated country on earth? Well, India, of course. Okay, India, very good. Can you tell us the third most populated country on earth? And he goes, well, um, let me see, Brazil. No, not Brazil. Um, let me see. Well, could it be maybe perhaps Mexico? No, no, it's not Mexico. Well, gee, uh, Indonesia. No, not Indonesia. And finally, the interviewer says, well, no, it's the United States. And the guy was just stunned. You know, China has about 1.3 billion people or 1,300,000,000 people. India has about a billion people. And the United States comes in third place with 300 million people. And the guy, again, he, would, he just looked in the camera and he was just stunned. And in total sincerity, I mean, the guy really meant it. He just says, really? I thought we had that problem under control. And so, again, in this guy's mind, you know, he's been successfully brainwashed by the population control crowd and is evidently you know, reflected in his lifestyle and the, the path he's marked out for himself in the world. He has decided that having people is a problem. You know, babies are a burden. Babies are an expense. People are a threat to the ecosystem. I think what a lot of the population control people are really saying is, I want less of you so there's more for me. And that might be exactly what he's thinking. We'll talk about some other folks who seem to think that way as well. But again, the, the idea of the fact that the United States is the third most populated nation on earth, and notice what this guy says. Whenever he talks about what he thinks is the third most populated country, he's you know basically naming third world countries like Mexico, Brazil, Indonesia, because of course where are you going to find large populations? Well, only with the uneducated, only with you know the unsophisticated, the unindustrialized. All those people, all they know how to do is just reproduce and consume resources. I mean that's kind of what's going through this guy's head. And so again, I think that you know the, this idea it, it's just pervasive that somehow or another that. Um, any, you know, if, if there's a population of people, look at the way that people with families are scorned in our particular culture. You know, if someone has more than two or three kids, 
everybody's looking at the parents and going, what's the matter with you two? Can't you control yourselves? You know, there are ways to prevent this. And so, you know, God help the family that has five, six, seven children anymore. You know, they're again, they're seen as being irresponsible. Oh, you know, you're bringing all these children into the world and they're going to leave too big of a carbon footprint. You know, they're going to they're going to ruin the rainforest or whatever. So there we kind of have an outline as to the overpopulation myth and that it's been used to justify and even impose abortions, contraceptives, and any number of other evils upon the world. Now, at the beginning of the broadcast of, of this broadcast of Double-Edged Sword, I said we would get to the roots of the lie and where it came from, and that is exactly what we're going to do after this brief break. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back, and I am Father Fred Gatchett, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and also part-time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School, also here in Salina, where I teach sophomores Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindenburg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And today we have been picking apart what we have determined to be the big lie about global overpopulation. Again, it has been my sad experience to hear grade schoolers through adults say things like, well, yeah, abortion is nasty business, but what do we do about overpopulation? And then there are the cynics who say such things as, if the Pope is so opposed to contraceptives and abortions, then he can support all the poor children being born into those overpopulated third world countries. In the previous section before the break, we explored some data and observations which essentially prove that the global overpopulation is at best a myth and at worst a carefully orchestrated and perpetuated lie. If you're just tuning in, remember you can always go to www.kvdm.org and click on local shows and follow the links to past installments of Double-Edged Sword. And so if you just tuned in and want to catch the first half of the show, you can always go back and listen to the overpopulation show and catch it again either the first half or the whole show in its entirety. But so now we have to figure out where did all the hostility towards new people being born to the earth get started? I think it can be traced back to the so-called enlightenment of the 17th century. It was during this time that our understanding of science started to grow rapidly. People began to see human ingenuity as a solution to all of our problems and God more and more was pushed off to the side. There's a man named Brad Gregory who has written a book called The Unintended Reformation, How a Religious Revolution Secularized Society. And as a historian, he claims that with all the bickering between Catholics and Protestants after the shipwreck of Christianity, which some people call the Protestant Reformation, since there was no clear voice to bring order to society and individual people's lives, the secularists, or you know, those who wanted to remake the world without God, essentially had free reign with their non-God-centered worldview, and it went unchallenged. 
This is significant, since certainly the Catholic viewpoint, and back then most all Protestant viewpoints, today there's no way to know since Protestantism is all over the map, but back then there was some cohesiveness even among Protestantism, that God made the world for us. We are supposed to be here as the first stage of our development on our way to eternal union with God in heaven. The earth was designed by God as an incubator for souls for heaven. The first order God gives people he has created is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. In the face of this, we have the voices of the so-called enlightenment telling us that people are a threat to the well-being of the earth. In our own day, people like Bill and Melinda Gates and Ted Turner of CNN fame give huge amounts of money um, to global efforts to curb population growth. What I believe is at work here is an unhealthy projection by Gates and Turner of their own values on the rest of the world. Certainly the world could not support billions of people living Gates and Turner lifestyles. But where they are missing the point is in the fact that most people don't want their lifestyles. Most people in the world, especially outside the United States, measure their well-being in terms of relationships with friends and families, not by how many cars they have in their garages or Learjets in their private hangars. And so again... You've got, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Ted Turner, you know, giving you know, all this money to U.N. organizations and so on to curb population growth because they're afraid there's going to be too many people on Earth. Well, and the thing of it is, is people, most people, I don't think, I don't think they want. I mean, they might kind of fantasize about having, you know, the Bill Gates mansion or something like that. But what they're really interested in is their families and their friends. So where did the overpopulation lie start? Well, here's where it started, folks. It started in England in 1798 as the brainchild of a vicar of the Church of England named Thomas Malthus. And in fact, even to this day, you'll talk about Malthusian economics or Malthusian, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, his name is used as an adjective for certain kinds of calculations and, and economic theories. We came up with this idea that food production could only grow linearly while populations would grow exponentially. Now, this is radio, which puts us at an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time. If this were television, or if you were in one of my adult ed classes or at Thomas More Prep, you would see one of my famous graphs. But this is radio, so you can't see. On the other hand, radio audiences tend to be more intelligent than TV audiences, so I have no doubt that we can get through this. Linear food production means that as time goes on in, say, years or decades, doesn't really matter, there will be a fixed amount of food by which the production will grow each year, and it will be the same every year. So if you plot it on a graph, it makes a straight line. If the line is steep, you have lots of food being produced. Then if it's a flatter line, if it's flatter, then you have less food being produced. According to Malthus, whether the line is steep or flat doesn't really matter, since populations, according to his math, always increase exponentially or logarithmically. In other words, instead of a straight line on the graph, there is a curve that shoots up, and it can shoot up pretty dramatically. That would grow, and so for example, maybe the first year of growth, it would say like 10 units, whatever the units would be. From year one to year two, it would be 60 units, and then from year two to year three, it might be 200 units. Three to year four, it might be 3,000 units and so on. It's not the same growth per unit of time. As each time goes on, it gets the number gets bigger and bigger, and so it's not a straight line. It's a curve that shoots up. Therefore, it would only be a matter of time before the number of people would be greater than the Earth's production of resources and disaster would strike. Also, since he was a clergyman for the Episcopalian Church, he saw a moral and religious element to his studies as well. He believed that starvation and the related chaos from overpopulation was discipline sent from God. Go figure that one out.
Now, keep in mind that he was preaching his message of doom in 1798, and according to his calculations, he insisted the world would be out of food by 1890. Kind of sounds like running out of oil by 1985, doesn't it? He rightly concluded that the population growth was due to better medical care, and recommended that we actually kill off the poor so there would be more goodies left over for the more deserving class, of which he conveniently was a self-proclaimed member. So now, as we're cruising the 18 and 1900s, we're arriving at the era of the eugenics movement, where again, science run amok without any moral reins, convinced many people like Eleanor Roosevelt, Margaret Sanger, and Adolf Hitler, that a master race, the aristocrats, the decent folk, or however they describe themselves, had a right to simply eliminate the undesirables of society by Holocaust, abortion, or any other kind of genocide they could dream up. I think if Malthus, Sanger, Hitler, or Roosevelt and their ilk could be forced to simply into admitting the truth of their philosophies, they would have to confess that population control means fewer of the likes of you, so there is more for the likes of me. That's what it's about. Now, in 1968, a man named Paul Ehrlich of Stanford University again took up the Malthusian idea that population growth would very quickly surpass the Earth's ability to sustain all the people, resulting in massive famines and social chaos as people went grubbing for food and other necessities. He was convinced that this was all going to happen by the end of the 1970s. In his book, The Population Bomb, published in 1968, he wrote... The battle to feed humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famines. Hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. Doesn't that sound familiar? I'm going to read that quote again. The battle to feed all of humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famines. Hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any programs, crash programs embarked upon now. Ehrlich, again, a professor at Stanford University, was convinced that by the 1970s it was all over and that you know when he was writing this thing in 1968 oddly enough the same year that Pope Paul VI wrote Humanae Vitae the encyclical that condemned abortion and contraception here he is in 1968 saying by the 70s it's over we're, we're just out of luck it almost kind of sounds like the global warming people that keep on saying that well you know it's too late now we've dumped too many greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and so now it's just a matter of time before we're all doomed I mean again if you kind of go back and look at this stuff, these ideas kind of keep getting recycled over and over and over again, and they all turn out to be wrong. The most remarkable thing is, is since they do come out, they'll always turn out to be wrong. How come we keep believing in them? It looks like Paul Ehrlich's predictions, like Thomas Malthus's, missed the mark. And in fact, there have been any number of other sociologists, demographers, and politicians who have made names to themselves of the past century by yelling that the population sky is falling like little chicken little. We only have to constantly revise their numbers and postpone the disaster they were just sure was going to happen. Again, as in the case of people who got the Japanese labor story wrong, we have yet to hear any admission of error or deceit, just more of the same. When are the rest of us going to wise up and see through all this? At the beginning of this broadcast, we looked at overpopulation as a myth or a lie. Since so many people have so unsuccessfully tried to predict when the population bomb was going to explode, I think we conclude that it is a lie. It is a lie because the researchers who have access to past studies and data can know the very same things that I have shared with you today. Yet they continue to force feed our culture and society with their hyped up overpopulation dribble. By the way, if you want a very brief but thoroughly documented short course on what we've been talking about today, 
go to www.overpopulationisamyth.com. Yep, it's all one word, but you can spell it easily enough. There are about a half a dozen well-produced and brief explanations about population, poverty, food production, etc. And also, I mean, after you watch your little minute and a half or two minute video, which again are pretty very well done, down below they have all the citations and the sources of what they said. So again, it's www dot overpopulation is a myth again it's i'm not going to spell it it's overpopulation is a myth.com and overpopulation is a myth is all one word so again if you type that in and, and take a look at those videos they're pretty cleverly done and um, they're very brief and to the point and again sometimes when things are brief and to the point they kind of sacrifice on a little bit of accuracy but you can take the time if you want to and go down below and click on their their sources and their documentation to find out what they're saying is true so again, I hope that by now it's fairly intuitive that the suffering, injustice, and the chaos that's been rammed down our throats by the population control crowd is just that. It's a big lie. In their minds, we are a little better than dogs and cats seem to be spayed or neutered for the good of the planet. It is truly a fatalistic worldview that puts no hope or confidence in the fact that human beings are clever and we come up with all kinds of clever ways to solve problems. It is precisely that which makes us different and better than dogs and cats. As Catholics, we have a much more noble and a holy view of God's creation and of his children. So that pretty much wraps it up for this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Thanks again for tuning in. Just want to remind you to visit our website at dv, that's v as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com. Um, you can also call the station at 785-621-4110. If you go to our Divine Mercy website, there are archived installments of Double-Edged Sword and also the One Body program, both of which are locally produced by our Catholic radio stations here in Divine Mercy Radio. And those are there for you to peruse and listen to at your leisure if you want to go pick up an older installment of one of those shows that you want to listen to again. Also, check out our donate button because um, there is where we depend on people's donations to keep us on the air and to keep the message going out to these Catholic airwaves. And so again, we thank you for tuning in to this installment of Double-Edged Sword here on Divine Mercy Radio, and we'll see you on the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.